Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Joe Powell and Billy Croft. All right, well, welcome back. This is ACR Moonshot. I am your host, Billy Croft, without my, without my co-host, Joe Powell, who is back in California. Uh, he's a little under the weather, but we are out here in beautiful Denver, Colorado, where the Nuggets just won the championship. Ooh. That was pretty cool. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Doc. You got a Miami <laughs> guy here. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Uh, Dr. Antevi, I was going to ask, how, how do you feel about being in Denver? Listen, I love Colorado. I love Denver. Um, and I have to say that I, I knew that you guys were going to crush us. Um, that team is just so powerful. Number one team, Jokic. I mean, yeah, he's you guys are just incredible. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So stepping in uh, as my co-host today, we got uh, Kevin Joles, uh, Division Chief of EMS at Lawrence Douglas, and we have uh, Dr. Dustin Holland, who is the Project Medical Director over at Carson City out in Nevada. Uh, and we have a really great, great guest with us today, and I'm super stoked. I've I've been following you, and you know I read all your literature, and uh, I just uh, I have a I have a bro crush on you, man. So don't believe anything. That's <laughs> all. It's it's all untrue. <laughs> so we have uh, Dr. Peter and Tevi with us, and uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we just got done listening to your keynote, uh, which was amazing. Um, why don't you, you. introduce yourself and uh, give us a little bit about about your background? Awesome. Thanks. Well, happy to be here. I'll never say no to a podcast, especially with you guys. So thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Peter Antevi, trained as a pediatric ER doc uh, back in L.A. and then Pittsburgh, where I got the EMS bug. Went back home to where I'm from in South Florida and then became an EMS medical director uh, of one agency and then another agency. And then I realized this is where I'm supposed to be in life. And now I work with over 2,500 paramedics across a number of different counties and um, I recognize that's where I'm supposed to be. So that, that's a, that's amazing. Uh, and like I said, we just we just got done listening to your keynote, which was uh, truly inspiring for me to hear. And the one thing I took away from that is a lot of things need to change. Yes. A lot of things need to change. And when we when we start talking about uh, survivability from cardiac arrest, mm-hmm. I mean, we last year's CARES data was what seven point five percent. That's right. It, it's dismal. It's, it's, it's horrible. And it's, it's, it's cardiac arrest and it's everything else. And I, I'll tell you that yesterday I was sitting with the Eagles at Eagle Creek and we were talking and everybody went around the room and they were talking about, and we said, what is the topic that's top of your mind? And 80% of them, of the topics, had nothing to do with clinical medicine. Mm. So we're asked to, you know, and I'm sure you're being asked to do Dustin, with all these things we're being told to do and asked to do and extra this and extra that, no one's paying us. So then we have all of our medics who are underpaid, overworked, they're looking for other jobs. And then I have to come to them with this new innovative thing and ACR and heads up CPR. They literally look at me, they're like, you're crazy. Now there are a few people in all of our departments and we all know who they are, who love every bit of the EMS side of the house. But a lot of the people in, in these agencies, as all of you know, they don't care. And they don't want to take that effort to improve survival. Um, 7.3% is, it's abysmal. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of work. And I'm sure that you, you 
all of you know how much work it takes because you go around the country teaching people how to do this. Um, but I think you, you mentioned that you know, EMS has to change. I think that the current system is not working. But here's my concern is that the next version of EMS has to happen already. And I alluded to that in my talk, which is this whole thing about having all these personnel and these big ambulances and sending engines and everywhere when, I mean, my Apple Watch, they have an Apple Watch now that can actually do your, your pulse ox. Um, it can do your heart rate. I have a ring on my finger. This is my temperature, mm. my sleep patterns. Yeah. Pretty soon we'll be doing a lot more at home. And there are systems now that you call 911, they triage you on the phone, and guess what they do? They send you an Uber link, a free Uber ride, because we know that about 60% of people don't need EMS. And if, if we only get paid by transporting, my fire chief's not gonna be happy with a 63% reduction in revenue. He still wants us to transport, because that's how he gets paid. So if, you ha if, you, if you're basing your model on that payment model, the private equity folks and the venture capitalists, they're gonna come and put a bunch of money in and all the paying customers who have the good insurance, they're all gonna start using the Uber for EMS and they're gonna get at-home care with a nurse practitioner or paramedic and we're gonna be sitting in our firehouses looking at each other and then they're gonna say, you know what? We don't need 180 people, we mm. need 120 people. And that's gonna happen because of where medicine is going. We just have to catch up to that. Right, right, right. Um, you know, Kevin asked a, a question about epi. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of these things that we do, a lot of these skills are ALS skills that aren't really working. We haven't moved mm -hmm. the needle. And it, it's, it's just astounding to me that it's, it's BLS skills that are doing the trick. But it's not sexy. I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, we, we just finished a, um, on Monday. We, we're calling it Resuscitate Florida, which is similar kind of model to the Resuscitation Academy, what you're doing with ACR. Um, and basically, we come in and we just do all BLS. Yeah. And people leave there and they're like, hmm, th this may work. We've been doing it for so many years now that we've had people come back. And on Monday, someone came back and said, as soon as we implemented it, we had survivors. Wow. And so, but as you all know, and, I can, and I'm sure you guys know that you can't just do it once and train on it. Right. And then say you're, you're good magically. What we've realized is that the, it's that follow-up after every single code, we have to use case review. We have mm -hmm. to go back and give them the document. We then have to sit down with them. We had a case recently where it was clearly VFib and um, there, there was no two minute, like at seven minutes they looked and who knows what they saw, but they didn't shock it, right? Right. Um, unless you do that review on that patient with, the, with those medics, either the same day or on their next shift, then you're, you're not gonna improve. Right, it's gone. But who's gonna do that work? I, yeah, I hear you. Do, do you guys have the people to go in and uh, listen to every audio, fill in the CARES database, go to every station, put the mannequins on the ground, uh, you know, review every case review. Who has that ability to do that? Right. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, you need to turn it into a, um, a way of life. So by the end of the day, they're craving it, and yep. they crave it so badly that we almost have to have our own people doing it mm -hmm. because we don't have the staff in the offices to do it. And you talked about that in, in the 
the keynote this morning about you don't look busy right now. Can you do this? And we're piling that on somebody who is, we know is busy, but they're the person that's going to get tasked with that. And then they don't do that great of a job because they are just trying to pencil whip it and get it through. So putting a little onus on your own uh, officers and, and some folks that you believe in in the stations is, has been helpful for us. And we're trying to implement that a little bit better within Lawrence Douglas County. But it's tough because they're busy. They're busy doing the, the, the calls. Right. And you have to have medical directors who care. And then they, in turn, inspire their leaders, the EMS leaders in their division to care. And oftentimes what you find is that, like, the fire division is, like, has all this training and trainers and the whole calendar is filled with the fire. And then you have, like, the one EMS person and there, there's no, not much training. So I think it takes the medical director and to kind of uh, an EMS trained medical director to go in there and say, this is what we're going to do. And then you show the data. So what I do is I show the data before we start and like, look how bad we're doing. And then we start. And then at every medical director meeting, I show them more data and more data and more data. And they, they know that when they see me, they're going to see their own data. Mm. Just like I show them their own narrative. Yeah. I mean, right. I kind of redact the name, so I don't, mm -hmm. I don't out anybody. But if I want them to write a better narrative, I show them the really crappy narratives, but it takes work. Right, right, right. Now, you know, um, getting back to that epic question that you asked, I mean, we, we view that as the sacred cow of, of EMS. Mm -hmm. So is that what you did with these paramedics you showed in the data? Hey, this, we're not seeing the outcomes mm -hmm. with administering this. I mean, is that how you did it? So, um, you know, early on when, when, you're, when you're an EMS medical director and you have an idea, everyone's looking to see, like, are they going to follow through? Is it going to work? And then... It, you know, a lot of people think you're crazy. And then, but then it works. And then you say, hey, we're going to start doing this next thing. Let's say ketamine for a fractory seizure. And then that works. And then we're, at, we're, we're showing our data. We're publishing our data. So then what happens over time is that when you come and you say, this doesn't work, epi doesn't work for shockable rhythms, because of the history that we have and they know like that we're going to look at our data and if we're wrong, we'll stop. But they know that, hey, these people are going to do it the right way. They always publish on the data afterwards, like Eligard, like the heads up thing. You know, I didn't, I didn't believe it until I said, hey, I want to be part of the study, right? And now that we're part of the study and we're pub we, our, our data, our newest data is being published again, um, I think next month. But if that device gets rolled out and we see a dip, then I'm going to be suspect and say, hey, what are we doing wrong? Right. Just like a lot of people who roll out a device mm -hmm. and then they see their, their neuro and tax survival go down. It takes a dip. Yeah. Um, but back to the epi question. Um, there, there is data on epi in shockable rhythms that it actually doesn't fix the problem, right? The AHA knows about that data, but the data may not be an RCT. It may not be big enough and, and kind of robust enough for them to make that move. But what they're doing, if you notice the language, they're, they're pulling back on epi. So how many of us have used, we used to give like 10 rounds of epi yeah. and 14 rounds of epi. So a lot of people have said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to move it down to three. Then there's some people from North Carolina who said they're calling it one and done. That's it, one and done. There's a guy in St. Louis um, um, who basically said, let's go IM because I want to get it on early. There are people who are saying, let me go 0.5 milligrams every 10 minutes. We now instituted in Broward County 
um, an epi drip, an intra arrest epi drip, where we take two milligrams, we put it in a hundred bag, we did one drop every two seconds, that goes in over 16 minutes, that's a milligram over eight. So I'm giving a milligram over eight instead of a milligram every three to five. Mm. We haven't published our data yet, but, and again, because in order to show a difference, you need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients. And still it's not an RCT, it's just an observational study. Okay. But our data thus far shows that the intra-arrest epi drip is better. Wake County's been doing intra-arrest epi for about 14 years. Never published their data. Really? So shockable rhythms, I think it should be gone. And I think that the guidelines will, I mean, I don't know if they will, but the guidelines will only change if they get something to suggest the change should be made. And all of us sitting at the table know that to do an RCT in the United States of epi versus no epi, never going to happen. That's what paramedic two was in the UK. 4,000 people got epi, 4,000 people got normal saline that looked like epi. And the neurointact survival was no different. And, but the ROSC rate was like 24% with epi, 8% without epi. But the neurointact survival was like 1.8 or 2% right. for both. However, the epi didn't get on board until 21 and a half minutes from the 911 call or 16 and a half minutes from the time you arrived on scene. So giving epi at 16 and a half minutes is worthless anyway. So is anyone gonna do a real study where you do great CPR like you guys all do, and you get to the scene and the epi's on within five minutes? Well, Paul Banerjee did that for pediatrics. He published his paper in resuscitation in 2019 and the AHA completely disregarded the study. Mm. And his ROSC rates were 23% in that study, sorry, his neurointact survival was 23% versus the 5% right. that's been in PALS for yeah. you know, 20 years, 30 years. Um, and ever since then, his numbers are hovering 20, 30, one year he got up to 40. So he also changed his ventilations from 10 breaths per minute to six breaths per minute. So smaller rate, but larger tidal volume. So same minute ventilation. So I just, in my last protocol revision, which just went live two weeks ago, we now, I'm, I'm, I'm bought into the Paul Banerjee, you know, one breath every 10 seconds. And some people look at me like, you're, like, you're crazy, but I'm, we're, we're basing it on data as opposed to what the AHA did, which what they took 47 patients in an observational study from an ICU where 74% of the patients had symptomatic bradycardia as their arrest rhythm, which is why I mentioned in my keynote that that should not be an arrest rhythm. 64% of those patients were in the cardiac ICU, and all the patients in asystole and PEA died mm. with a respiratory rate of 20 to 30. But then, then they told us in EMS to do to, to bag these people at this crazy rate when Banerjee did the, exact, did the exact opposite, and they just disregarded that paper because it wasn't an RCT. It wasn't looking at specifically ventilation. Right. These studies are hard to do. Oh, yeah, and expensive. Expen millions of dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, you know, one thing you spoke to uh, <clears throat> during your keynote was the guidelines. And, you know, we just talked about that data and how you can have fairly or relatively good studies in the world of cardiac arrest that aren't adopted by these, these guidelines that are often, you know, implemented for hospital-based use and, and things that are not related to what we do every day in the field. Um, you know, you're a member of NEMSP, I am too. I'm the ASAP EMS section chair. What oh, can we okay. as EMS 
physicians be doing to lead that that charge with you know getting guidelines that are more specific for EMS that aren't so regionalized or localized that's a great question and I think the answer comes down to relationships that exist that are very deep right so if you're if you had a very na- a big national organization and you're the president and you're the vice president and you also have to play nice in the sandbox with the folks at the AHA etc you aren't going to be the one leading the charge to pull all of a, you know ACLS away from them right. into NMSP because they have to play nicely when you're someone like me who I'm just trying to do good right I'm like you guys I'm 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 a I'm a, I'm a, gr- a grassroots kind of guy who this seems obvious that the guidelines you're giving me don't apply to the patients that I'm serving. Therefore, I need a new set of guidelines. So it would seem very easy and straightforward to just say, let's just do it and make our own set of guidelines. So I've been pushing. Um, I, I push pretty hard, meaning that I have the, the NMSP president, a good friend of mine, and I'm, I'm pushing him to make the change. Um, but what's happening, like I mentioned in the keynote, is that people are not waiting any longer and they're just making their own guidelines. Tucson, San Antonio, Dallas. And what's gonna happen is in your neck of the woods, you're gonna end up saying, you know what? I know, you know, I know better. And you're gonna say, you know better. And what's gonna end up happening is that in 10 years, we're gonna look around and there's gonna be people breathing at 30 times a minute and people breathing at six. People giving half a milligram of epi and people giving epi drips. And unless we have some consistency, there's no way to wait anymore for doing a study on each one of those things. We have to look at the data. So personally, what I'm going to do is I am kind of, um, my my goal is just going to be to make the guidelines. I'll be the guy who write it out, and then I'm just going to pedal it around and see and say, can we get some consensus around this? Um, You know, I'm in the NMSP, but I'm not on the board. And, uh, you know, but, you know, listen, if that's what it takes, let's, you're, with, you're with ASAP, right? Um, you have a seat at the table. Now, unfortunately for everything that I do, the one thing I don't do well enough is that I don't have a seat at the table where these decisions are being made. And that's my fault, you know? Yeah, I'd say even with a seat at the table, the evidence that's out there is, can be argued this way and that every day. You know, you could find a study to support that, but you can find a study that says you should take it off of every ambulance you've ever been on. <laughs> you know, so um, what, where do you see the future of, of cardiac arrest research going? Do you see a large NIH-funded, placebo-controlled, double-blinded study, multi-center? Do you, do you see that really solving the problem? No, it, it's not going to solve the problem, but what I think is going to happen is that you're going to have entire swaths of the, of the country doing one thing. Let's say that at your agencies in Carson City, you said, you know what, we're gonna go to 20 to 30. And, um, and there's 20 other agencies that are doing 20 to 30 in kids, right? Then what will end up happening is that people will look at your data and all the other data of those people doing that. And then they'll say, okay, well, let's go look at Paul Banerjee and, and, and Tebby's systems. And then we can say, okay, apples to apples comparison, there's a difference. But then what's going to happen is they're going to say, well, how do you know it wasn't the fact that you're not staying on scene? Maybe you're not doing compressions right. Maybe you're not doing full recoil. Maybe your chest compression fraction is not that good. And so there's, like you said, there's always going to be the argument that we don't know exactly what made the difference. So there is not going to be a study 
that's gonna that's gonna um, allow you to say that this one specific thing. So what we're now publishing, if you read our publications, we talk about the bundle of care. If you put in, and you guys talk about this too, if you put in this bundle, then your numbers will go up. Is it this or that or the other thing? We'll need tens of thousands of patients. But what's, what's, ha what's gonna end up happening is that the country is so divided right now with what they do, someone's gonna have to come and say, let, let me look at your data, let me look at your data. Two high-performing systems, and the only thing that's different, we think, is the ventilation rate or we don't use epi and you guys do you know that's the only way we're going to kind of figure out the way forward but doing an rct double blinded paramedic two style i don't think it's going to happen mm, mm. this is uh this is great stuff great stuff and i, I know you got to get out of here and you know catch a flight and we really appreciate you sitting down with us and 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 talking with us we'd like to sit down with you again because there's there's so much we can talk about yeah you know yeah. here um we can't cover it possibly in in 30 minutes um but we appreciate everything that you're doing leading the charge in trying to improve neurologically intact survivability from yeah. cardiac arrest to not only in adults but pediatrics and uh, everything else that you're doing for our industry you know, trying to improve um, recruitment and yeah. uh, getting paid for the services that we that we deliver. Yeah, and uh, I think that that's a that's a huge thing. I mean, I want people to wake up in the morning and say, "I love my job. I love the people who I work with." And I'm I'm blessed. You know, if you come down to my systems today, you know, when I open up a, you know 20 spots, I get two three hundred people trying to get in. I go to other places in the country, and if you have a pulse, they'll take you. And then when you go into the system, and you quickly determine why that is. So if you come to Palm Beach County, we pay you very well. You've got an amazing pension. You have great leadership, right? The EMS leadership is incredible. We have EMS captains who are with you on the most critical calls. You know, we do 2448s. Uh, we have Kelly days. Um, it just, I mean, so it is possible to, and, and by the way, they retire when they're like 50 some, some odd. Yeah, right with a full pension, which they deserve every penny of. So if, if we're doing that in Palm Beach County, why can't we do that everywhere? Right. And it's, it's because, you know, people at the federal government or at the state level or at the local level, they just don't see the value. And so if, if you have a city commission where you have to convince them why you should pay your paramedics more than the Amazon worker, then you're, you're starting from behind the eight ball. You have people that, and it goes back to what you were saying, like, if you don't have people who, who are at the table who have any clue of what these people are doing, so what we do is we bring the commissioners in. To the, we have a you know, whole fire training ground and whatever. We put them in bunker gear. We have them cut open cars. We have them hold the hoses. We have them do the medical stuff, stop the bleed. And they leave that, and they're like, oh, my God. Like, this is what you guys do? We Yes. And so it's carte blanche. We have the best commissioners and folks and we, we have the best of the best of the best but i travel a lot and people come up to me all the time and they're like buddy it's very different where i work and that's the hurtful part of this profession that we're just not understanding how important this profession is and you know because you're in the ed mm -hmm. um how many times do the medics call the ed doc who has no idea what ems is and they're in they're rude to us or when we come into the into the ED, they don't 
you know, so even that there is a whole group of doctors who could care less about the EMS profession because they don't know what we do. And maybe that's our fault for not showing them what we do. And so when I'm doing webinars and podcasts and all that is because I want to, I'm trying to knock on the door of the people who make the decisions that whole blood, like if it's your mother, your father, could be you one day, don't you want whole blood to save your life? Well, that's, we do that, right? And so I think all of us together with what you're, you guys are doing, traveling around the country and doing these podcasts, it's, a, it's a grassroots. And so the people who are listening to this, I don't care if you're an EMT or you, you know nobody, like you as a single person can go and you can change at least your local community. Amen. Or you can say, hey, listen to that podcast. Listen to that, what these guys are doing. Why can't we do that? And you keep on banging the door enough and then boom, you get an opening. And next thing you know, you know, you know, Kevin, you were, you were, you know, doing great work and, and look at what you guys have done, right? You guys have, you know, you're all over the country now teaching people the right thing to do. So, um, I think that it, it could be a single person. You don't have to wait for, because if we wait for the national ASAP and NAMSP, it's like, it's like, you know, uh, merry-go-round. He's going to keep going round and round. Yeah, by, the, by the time you make a decision, something else has been published that it's going to have to make you yeah. change that decision. Yeah. Well, that was, that was great stuff. Uh, anything else you guys want to add before we wrap up here? Just to follow up with, <clears throat> with Peter, um, it just, just takes that one person to get involved and, and just get involved. Just insert yourself into something. Come to a conference like this. Yep. Uh, go to any MSP. Even as an EMT, you can learn so much. Um, you know, at first when I went there 10 or 12 years ago for my first time, I thought, paramedic, along with these physicians, this is ridiculous. But there's some of my closest friends and colleagues yes. and I get a lot of expert advice from. And so you'll just go up and talk to one of these physicians because they are just like us. Yeah, become a warrior. Yeah. Right, warrior. Absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Antevi, for taking the time with appreciate us. Um, we really appreciate that. And uh, again, uh, you can pick up this podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, please uh, subscribe and, and like uh, everything that we do. And in our show notes, we'll put uh, links to Dr. Antevi's uh, information and uh, everything, all the great things that he is doing. So thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. And I will say one thing. I'm leaving before the parade tomorrow. <laughs> Good <so>. for you. <laughs> we'll take some pictures outside yeah, of our I'm hotel sure, for I, you. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Sounds like the Joker is too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, so. boys. I appreciate it. This podcast and its postings are for general informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, medical direction, medical oversight, or medical advice. No doctor-patient or doctor-healthcare provider relationship is formed. This podcast and advanced cardiac resuscitation are not a substitute for any local, state, or federal policies, protocols, or treatment guidelines. The views and opinions of the hosts and the guests of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view or policy of advanced cardiac resuscitation, its officers, members, or member agencies. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by advanced cardiac resuscitation. Thank you for listening to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast.